about the, the, the issue and then be positive about achieving it and the letter guide can help you be positive about achieving it. Hello everyone and welcome to FutureX, a podcast by Martin Hearn, Event Director, FutureBuild and co-host Dr Oliver Jones, Research Director, Rider Architecture. FutureX will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a FutureX community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of FutureX. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director of FutureBuild and once again I'm joined by my co-host Dr Oliver Jones of Rider Architecture. So, Oliver, this week we are talking all things retrofit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest? Uh, this week we've got the fantastic Antonia. And Antonia has been one of the key authors of the latest Letty domestic retrofit guidance. Uh, she comes to us with some fantastic observations and stats around the risks and benefits of retrofit and just why it's so important that we start to really coalesce and get some regulations, some standards and some movement in the industry and support from local and central government to be able to engage in domestic retrofit and really push us forward towards meeting those uh, 2050 climate targets. There were some fantastic things that came from Antonia's discussion um, around some of those key statistics, uh, and particularly, as I say, around the risks and benefits. But some of the other elements that came through on the discussion with Antonia was the great work that Letty are doing and the fact that I found it absolutely startling that over a thousand people have come together and up until this point in time, they've managed to produce some phenomenal outputs um, on, on only £12,000 worth of funding. So there was a, a call to action at the end there because they're now seeking additional funding to, to get sponsors on board and to get people who, who want to support the great work of Letty further. Um, and I just, it really blew me away, the power of collaboration there. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think it just shows the need for the industry to come together with common objectives um, and to really push these agendas forward. And you're right, you know, Letty do amazing work. And it is just through the time and advice in kind that their um, members um, put, put there. And, you know, that 25,000 is really just to enable them to promote the outcomes that they're putting forward. So it was an absolute pleasure today to have Antonia on here and actually enable her to talk about some of that amazing guidance and get it out to the FutureX community. Mm-hmm. And I would say to the FutureX audience, get online, go onto the Lenny website, because there's more than a thousand of you. Go and put £25 in there each and we'll, we'll sharp be there with regards to helping them reach their £25,000 target. Couldn't agree more. Hi, Antonia. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for inviting me. That's fantastic. I guess the best place to start is that I sat through a fantastic presentation that you were on around the new retrofit levy um, guidance for retrofit and domestic buildings. And I just thought it was a, it was a great opportunity to, to get you on the show, to talk to the Future Act audience and have a bit more discussion and develop a bit more exposure around this retrofit guidance that that Letty have just launched. So to kick us off, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are today? You know, where did you study, where have you worked previously and, and how did you find yourself contributing to, to this guidance? 
Okay, so I'm an architect by background. Um, I studied, you know, doing architecture study in about three or four different places. Um, so I started at Cambridge and then moved on to Royal College of Art and University of Westminster for my part twos and professional qualifications. And I worked, I worked for about 10 years in total um, on a mix of existing and new buildings in the UK, but also in Australia and other countries. And I really got into the sort of sustainability agenda and really started to be concerned about what I was doing whilst I was working at Nicholas Hare Architects in London. And then actually when I stopped working to have children, um, and I realised that at some point I'm going to have to turn around and face my children and <laughs> talk about what I've done in terms of addressing the climate emergency. And I was slightly ashamed that most of the buildings I've worked on weren't good enough. So at that point I went off and did a Masters in Sustainability um, and Adaptation. Uh, this was a sort of part-time thing um, whilst I was looking after kids at the Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales. And then um, after that, I sort of returned back to work um, whilst, you know, after my three kids had been born. And, and then at that point got involved with Letty whilst I was working at Nicholas Hill Architects again, um, post children. And I've been involved in Letty for the last couple of years, helping them with the Climate Emergency Retrofit Guide, but also some of their campaigns on the future building standards and future home standards. Um, that the, the government consultations for those for those two standards. Excellent, quite 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 the journey, and uh, I commend you going back into uh, to study more around sustainability to make that to make that impact. I think that's fantastic. The to talk to us a bit more about this Letty new guide, you know, the domestic retrofit guide. Can you tell us a bit more about why it's needed, and maybe explain to the audience the the sort of gravity and the impact that it might have? So it's, it's needed because, as lots of people know, retrofit is the big problem facing our existing building stock. And um, to sort of quote, to give you some statistics, around 80% of the buildings that will exist in 2050 have already been built. And so if we're going to achieve zero carbon by 2050, we need to retrofit those buildings. We need to make them um, zero carbon and we need to also make them resilient for the future. So clearly, we need to understand how far we need to go in terms of retrofitting these buildings, what looks good, what doesn't, um, and how much of our stock we need to do. And we at Letty, having done a climate emergency guide for new build, we felt that there was a platform that Letty had that people would listen to, because that new, guild, that new build guide was sort of gained a lot of traction and was um, remarkably successful, really. Um, so it was a guide that was um, written back in 2020, and I, have to admit I wasn't involved in it. And it was sort of published in January 2020 and has been downloaded about 60,000 times across the world since. And we know that there are um, thousands of homes that are now being built to the standards put in that new build guide. And that new build guide was just saying, look, these, this is what you need to be achieving in terms of energy consumption and other areas in order to meet our net zero carbon targets. And so we thought, well, let's do exactly the same, but for retrofit, because this is an even bigger issue than new build, quite frankly, because of the fact that 80% of our buildings have already been built. Um, and so we started with the retrofit guide, and we soon established that we needed to focus just on domestic to begin with, and we'll do another one for non-domestic next year. And your contribution and main area of, of expertise in the development of this guide was around risks, the risks and, and benefits. You know, could you tell us a bit more about, well, highlight a few of those risks and, and benefits for us? Yeah, sure. So 
Um, what people often focus on when they look at retrofit is the fact that it's going to save you money on energy bills, um, as well as saving carbon emissions. But there's a whole host of um, other potential benefits when you renovate buildings well. Um, so obviously, energy consumption is the critical one. Um, and if you can reduce any energy consumption dramatically, then it will have an impact on carbon emissions. It will have a huge impact on energy bills. Um, and it will also reduce the amount of money we need to spend building our energy infrastructure. Because for every kilowatt hour of energy we save, that's a kilowatt hour of energy we don't need to produce through renewables um, in order to be a sort of zero carbon um, housing stock. But there are also all these social benefits as well to retrofitting buildings well. So, for example, you can make buildings much, much more comfortable. Um, they can have better indoor air quality. They can have much, be much warmer in winter. And also, if you do it properly and you think about future climate, you can make them more comfortable in summer and less prone to overheating. And these are, these are big social concerns because so much of our existing building stock and so many of our existing houses are actually quite poor. So we know that around a million homes are underheated, people can't afford to heat them properly, and that has a huge impact on um, people's health. And to the extent that it's costing you know, billions of pounds to the NHS each year, it's contributing to you know, thousands of excess winter deaths and things like that. Um, we also know that overheating is going to become a big, big problem um, as the climate changes. Um, and so we need to be addressing that now and not just in 2050. And we also know that uh, almost a million homes in the UK suffer from damp and mould, which is contributing to problems like asthma and other long-term health conditions. So we, we need to tackle that existing building stock and retrofit to um, get to zero carbon is one way of improving those existing buildings. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't spoke about this uh, yet, but we're, we're doing a, a fantastic project at the moment with the YMCA that looks very, very specifically at the retrofit of, of existing Victorian housing stock, um, which is actually incredibly good quality, uh, has just fallen into into disrepair um, for social social housing and uh, affordable housing. Uh, but using advanced materials in in that retrofit process and, and testing that, so you know much more uh, high performance, breathable uh, insulation, and um, whether or not we can use any bio based materials in there and. Uh, it, it's a great project and, and hopefully we'll have a lot more to share with you and it'd be great to get you involved in that as well. Um, are, are you seeing a lot of a lot of innovation in this space, in the retrofit space? Oh yeah, massively. So there's a lot of technical innovation obviously going on around insulation um, and windows and things like that. Mm -hmm. But also I think you're starting to see a lot of um, changes to the way we procure projects and that's something that I really would like to see more of. Um, so obviously the energy strong model where they're looking at performance-based contracts. Now that's something quite new to the building industry, the idea that you're going to be held to account for how well the building performs after you've built it. Uh -huh. So I'd love to see a lot more innovation going on in that area as well. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that you know we, we're all in agreement that we need to rapidly scale up the retrofit program. You know, how do we do that? I think you have to. I think you have to sell it. Um, it needs a big marketing push, to be honest. Um, and actually, this is a slight segue, but I'm I've been working for the last eighteen months at UK Green Building Council for um, a project called Build Upon, um, and we've built a framework which helps local authorities measure the many impacts of building renovation. 
So all those impacts I just talked about, the social impacts, the environmental issues, the economic impacts as well, like the impact on jobs and, and skills like that if you're putting lots of money into renovation. Let's measure all those impacts so that you can build a business case for retrofit um, and prove that retrofit is working. So if you do a project, measure it, and then in the next project, measure it, and do it all in a consistent, very simple way, and you can build that business case and sell retrofit. Because you're not going to get... Um, big investment in it without people realising what the return on that investment will be. Um, and so it needs to be sold at a sort of a government level to understand those broader issues, but it also needs to be sold, I guess, to the sort of big financial institutions <laughs> and investors. And I think that's a much more difficult sell at the moment because financially it's very, very hard to reap the, the benefits, sorry, it's very hard to get a return on investment on deep retrofit if you're looking purely at energy bills. So obviously something needs to change in the economics of retrofit, and I think government can have a fair role there around um, reducing VAT to reduce costs on retrofit, but also the way electricity and gas are priced at the moment, with electricity being much more expensive than gas. Um, so when people shift from gas to heat pumps, they don't necessarily see a benefit in their energy bills. And then at the moment, if you put renewables on your house, you don't necessarily get money for exporting energy to the grid. So there's sort of three big mechanisms that government could change to make the finances of retrofit work. And if you were to unlock that, so that you know, models like the energy sprung model, where you have private investors getting a long-term return on their investment, if that can be unlocked, then, then it will explode. But in the meantime, you need to be focusing on all these other social areas. And I think you need to be looking at local and central government, you know, putting the investment into improving their building stock for the benefit of their constituency. I agree. I, I think, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit and the areas you can make the most impact is definitely on the social housing or the bulk housing um, yeah. sector. I think, you know, if you look at the UK housing stock, 63% is privately owned. And I think you're right that we need to really need to sort of the, the message or how do we inspire people to consider retrofit? Because um, you said there, I think, you know, if you're going for a, you know, a whole house or a deep retrofit, it's a it's a big challenge to a private home homeowner. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard to say to a private owner homeowner you're going to get money back on this. But we, we don't say that when we put in a new kitchen or bathroom. We don't say, oh look, all the money you're going to save on on eating in now in your beautiful new kitchen because you're no longer eating out in expensive restaurants. You 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 buy your new kitchen and bathroom because you want to live in a nicer home. And so. A lot of the argument around retrofit has to be you are going to have a more comfortable home. Yes, you can't see it, but you're going to feel it. You're going to hear it. You're going to, you know, be... Your children aren't going to have asthma. <laughs> and, you know, I've got a kid who's got... He's coming out in hives each night, and we think it's because they're, they're too cold at night um, <laughs> because they're an underheated home. So, so I think there's the big lifestyle and comfort piece is the way to go at the moment for individual homeowners. Um, and... Focusing purely on return on energy bills is, is not the way forward to get this to sort of unlock at scale. I don't think it's an added bonus. It's not the only thing to talk about. It's, I think, so important. It's definitely something that's come up an awful lot in our conversations around the retrofit uh, for existing housing stock with the YMCA is that the, the, if we could only quantify monetarily the, the social value of, of some of these retrofit projects, uh, or, or indeed, not doing them. So, you know, the impact on a community that a that an entire house clearance of terrace, terraces 
you know the the, the detrimental impact on on communities throughout our our country on the deprived areas that are already struggling to build a more resilient community of then going and, and conducting house clearances of as we've already discussed really good solid homes that just need TLC and need updating you know we the homes that we would put in their place today probably you know haven't got as robust structure as a robust structure yeah. as, as that Victorian housing stock is there currently that, that was built in a time of you know a time of plenty it also doesn't fit with our sustainability goals to be to be scrapping that much material um, and clearing sites without considering retrofit first yeah no, I completely agree the idea of demolishing at scale to put to put to then rebuild with zero carbon buildings is a complete non-starter in my view um, I was actually at a sort of uh, conference the other day where we were discussing this very same issue and um, the, the scale we're talking about just beggars belief. So you're looking at about a million homes or buildings a year for the next 30 years that we need to improve. Now that's the equivalent of Greater Manchester in terms of number of buildings. It's a little bit under the number of buildings that were destroyed during the Blitz in London in the war. And so the idea that you are going to demolish the equivalent of Greater Manchester every single year and rebuild it for the next 30 years is just completely bonkers. And when you demolish buildings, you don't just lose the buildings, you, all the infrastructure changes, all the streets to those buildings change, all the services. So the sort of the, the impact in terms of loss of embodied carbon and it, loss of resources, you know, what's the waste mountain from the equivalent to Greater Manchester going to be? Now that is absolutely enormous. And then you've obviously got the social impact of all those communities that are completely displaced because a project is at least five years from start to finish. Um, and, you know, you're displacing whole communities for that time um, and then bringing them back in again. You know, it takes decades for communities to rebuild if, if you demolish buildings and then rebuild them. And we saw that in Glasgow in the 1960s when they took out Victorian buildings. We've seen it in Liverpool. We've seen it in the Pathfinder project. You know, it's, that is not the way forward. It's utterly unthinkable, in my view. Um, and it actually makes retrofitting a million homes a year look quite easy by comparison. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the... Um... The other thing to touch upon there is, I know we've discussed this the heat of building strategy very briefly the, that's, that's been released and I, I've got quite a lot of strong views around the, the fact that I don't think the decision making should be passed or, or the buck should be passed all the way down the chain to homeowners. I think obviously homeowners have got a role to play but the, the thrust of that heat and building strategy does tend to initiate a number of different mechanisms whereby the homeowner can drive that change and that retrofit process and I think what really needs to happen is that there's a, a national or local government leadership um, uh, around developing a more supported and more resilient retrofit supply chain around skills and training um, you know tell me a bit about your thoughts on on this heat of building strategy so um, I think there's some stuff in the heat of building strategy that's that's great I think there's support for heat pumps that's great I agree but I don't think they go nearly far enough on energy efficiency. And energy efficiency is an absolutely central plank to our energy infrastructure. And we, we often think about energy provision um, and infrastructure, and we don't think about energy efficiency as being you know, a part of that. And that's completely wrong, in my view. So um, the heat and building strategy, it does worry me um, that they're looking at sort of 
rolling out heat pumps at scale by providing grants to householders without then saying you have to improve energy efficiency. Because if we go down that route, there's a real risk that people put heat pumps into buildings that aren't ready for them. By that, I mean they won't have necessarily changed all their radiators to suit the, the lower temperatures that heat pumps run at. Um, and they won't necessarily have made their building energy efficient enough to be able to um, handle the fact that you've got run at lower running temperatures. And if you don't do either of those two measures or a combination of the two, you could end up in a home that's more expensive to heat and isn't heated as well. And then there'll be a huge public backlash against heat pumps. And that, that, that really worries me because heat pumps are amazing, but they need to be treated with caution and, and installed properly as part of a whole house retrofit package, not just you know, shove in this instead of your boiler. Um, so that that's concerns me about the heat and building strategy. And we did have a conversation, or I remember a conversation recently where we're already at a skills and training loss in, in the sector, in the construction sector, you know, in terms of the trades that can do this. If we're, we also look at the demographic, I think it was David Pinder, who was ex-CEO of Baxi. If you look at the, the demographics of um, our heating engineers and our gas engineers, they're, they're in the 50s um, predominantly, and a whole new whole-scale change and push towards heat pump training, heat pump insulation, could signal a mass exodus from, from that industry in itself, uh, leaving us with even fewer uh, heat, heat pump engineers to train over the coming months. And a lot of that's been taken on by private companies and private training programs anyway. So it, it does feel like there's a, there is a real gap here. Maybe, maybe we're just pausing for breath, but there's a real gap here waiting for a national strategy around retrofit. Oh, yeah, I mean, 100% there needs to be a natural strategy and it needs to be long term with sufficient clarity and funding that people can be confident to build up skills in this sector. I mean, there are, you know, your, your, your businesses involved in retrofit or in sustainability measures have been hit again and again and again by short term funding from government. So whether it's, you know, people doing solar panel installation who are then suddenly hit when fit is removed or all the people who were involved in the mess of the Green Homes Grant last year that was then cut, you know, that it, it's the story of the last 15 years has been short-term funding packages that make it impossible for a supply chain to build up for the long term because people invest only to then find that the work isn't there for them in a year or two's time. So the single biggest thing the government could do would be to create long-term funded projects and a sort of security to the supply chain so that it can build up. And as you say, um, with the combination of COVID and Brexit, we've also lost huge, I mean, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of the labour market, uh, you know, who are sort of moving away from the UK and, you know, labour um, labor prices have gone up and doubled in the last just a year as a result of people leaving the market. So we've got a big problem because we're a huge market we need to produce and at the same time people are leaving the UK. So it's not, it's not an obvious one. The, in terms of in terms of the sort of next steps, I know that Letty's looking at the non-domestic uh, retrofit of buildings as well. Retrofit of non-domestic buildings. You, are you involved in that programme? Could you tell us a bit more about what's going on there? I'm not involved in it yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sort of evaluating my, my volunteer positions at the moment. Um, it's it's going to start in around January time, I think. Actually, the first thing we're focusing on, which has started this month, um, and I will probably get involved in it a bit later, 
is how do you roll out the sort of retrofit that we're talking about within the domestic building market. So, at the, so we've, we've said, look, this is what good retrofit looks like. You need around a 60 to 80% reduction in energy consumption for the average home. Now, how do you roll that out? So what are, you know, how much of the of our housing market needs to get to that point? Um, and how, how would you look about doing it? So looking then at a sort of macro scale at our energy sort of infrastructure um, capacity and peak loads, as well as the costs of it. So that's something we're looking at next. And then after that will be the, domestic, the, the commercial non, non-residential buildings. I think that's a really interesting point about how do we roll it out. And, and we talked before about the need to promote and inspire people to do the change. Because, you know, we replace our bathroom or kitchen once every 15 years. But how do we make the process of retrofit a lot easier and it becomes a natural choice rather than, you know, a, a hindrance or something that, that gets problem? We've, we've talked about the skills though, um, shortage as well. But, it, you know, should it be a you know, at a installer level that they're promoting a more, you know, um, renewables alternative to a gas boiler? Or, you know, at that point, should they be suggesting, well, if you're ripping, you know, your kitchen out, you should be insulating your walls? You know, how do we do this at scale? I think I think you sort of, there's, there's no one person, you need to get estate agents on the job saying, oh, this house has been, you know, retrofitted mm. and it's really comfortable and it's therefore worth so much more. You need to get installers saying, well, let's not do the gas boiler, let's do the heat pump. You need, you know, the kitchen people to say, ah, well, have you thought about insulating behind the walls before we retile them? No, so across the board, people need to have this in their mind so that it's not just um, forgotten at these critical moments in time when people might consider putting in the money to, to do up their homes. I think, I mean, one thing UK Green Building Council have been calling for are one-stop shops. So this idea that there is a one-stop shop within a local authority that you can go to for support and advice. Um, Because at the moment, there are so many hurdles you have to, as as an individual homeowner, there's so many hurdles you have to to sort of get over just to even think about retrofitting your home that you kind of give up even before you get onto the idea of how much money it's going to cost and and how long it's going to take. So as an example, um, you know, for me to find out whether I can put insulation on the outside of my wall, it took me weeks to get a phone call to a duty planning officer who then says to me, "Uh, well, to be honest, I'm not sure. And the only way you'll find out is if you put in a planning application. Well, surely there should be just absolute categorical clear guidance on what is and isn't allowed. And similarly, a colleague tried to put put in an application for a heat pump they're told you've got to have a noise survey to get your heat pump to get you know that's a condition of planning for your heat pump and that noise survey costs over a thousand pounds so it's just all these hurdles that are added in and local government can really start to lift some of those hurdles and that would really help as well what would be your big asks of local government antonia focus on social housing get your own houses in order (laughs) um and have them as exemplars and also use the focus on social housing to build that supply chain. And then on the other hand, provide that guidance and that one-stop shop to individuals so that those front runners of individual householders have somewhere to go to get support and advice. I think the, the points you mentioned there, I definitely think there's a behavioral shift though now in consumers. You know, I've noticed a lot more people want to do this, as you've said, you know, people are becoming enthused around making these changes, around retrofitting their properties, but there is a clear deficit in, in, in knowledge or where to go to find out the right thing to do, exactly as you've, as you've put it. Can you tell us 
Are you in a position to tell us a little bit more about this Build Upon project with uh, the UK GBC? Uh, actually, sorry, to answer your question about where to go for advice, yeah. you need to talk about the Retrofit Academy yeah. because they're training up retrofit coordinators across the country and I did their training this year um, and so I'm now a qualified retrofit coordinator and I think they're doing an amazing job in terms of distilling the knowledge around how to do retrofit well and whole house retrofit. So thinking about the whole building as a whole and not just individual measures without thinking of the knock-on impact. And so if you manage to get this sort of huge cohort of retrofit coordinators out and around who are, you know, understand all the issues, then they are somebody that householders can go to for advice on an individual level. So I think what the Retrofit, Coordinator, well, Retrofit Academy are doing are brilliant um, on, on that front. And that's all part of this standard called PASS 2035 that yeah. came out um, a couple of years ago and is now mandatory on publicly funded buildings, but it's not mandatory yet on privately funded retrofit. We're, we're okay. looking forward to having uh, David Pierpoint from the Retrofit Academy on uh, oh, later to, to, talk, to tell us all about the amazing work that, that the Retrofit Academy are doing, but I'm sure you'll appreciate the great shout out for the work of the Retrofit Academy. <laughs> uh, okay, but, so I don't need to plug him anymore. It does, it, does, it does shine a light on the fact that local authorities could really use a number of retrofit coordinators um, currently in, in those positions. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the local authorities, I mean, so with um, UK GBC, so sort of UK Green Building Council and this Build Upon project, I spent a lot of time talking to local authorities and they're, you know, they're absolutely struggling for resources at the moment because they're all putting in sort of massive funding bids for the, um, the, the sort of local authority grant side of the Green Home Grant Scheme that the government introduced a couple of years ago. Um, and so these huge funding bids are going in and they, they need people like Richard coordinators to help them with these bids to, to, to find funding to do up 300 homes here or 700 homes there. Um, and so, yes, there's a sort of resource problem within local authorities, actually, to, to be able to do, to do the work that's being asked of them. Um, and I do hope that with this Build Upon project, which is yet another, in some ways, it's a a burden on them because they've got to collect data but hopefully that will help them build the business case for more projects and sort of get the people in-house that they need to be able to do these projects. Uh, just jumping back to what's next in the in the residential space you know when we talk about risks and risks and benefits surely there is I had this conversation the other day and it's been something I've been mulling around in my mind I thought I'm going to ask Antonia that when we speak is there a risk in backing heat pumps, you know, is it as a, as, a, as a solution in that we might close down other avenues? Or is there a risk in maybe backing hydrogen boilers too much? Or, you know, how, is, there, is there a risk that we go down one avenue too far and we close off other avenues? Or, you know, one of the things that I talked to David Pinder around was, could we not look at maybe decentralised, some exemplar projects of decentralised energy grids and microgrids um, that, that operate in a, in a much more innovative way, in a much more innovative system than we're currently used to. My concern is that we're, we're trying to play within the rules of, a, of an antiquated system and an antiquated consumer model around energy prices and, and the way we consume energy, that we, mo we might be going down the wrong road in just saying, well, let's do the same old thing we've done with energy, but let's just do it with heat pumps now. Yes, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I don't think we are going down the route of only one one solution of heat pumps at the moment, to be honest. There is still a huge amount of investment going into hydrogen. 
there's still a lot of people doing heat network. So I think at the moment all horses are going. <laughs> um, and just as within our energy mix, you know, people are investing in nuclear as well as in renewables. So I don't, I don't think that's a risk that we're um, only going down one route at the moment. I think there is a risk that we might um, mess up heat pumps for the reasons I mentioned earlier. On the hydrogen front, um, I like the fact that the government is being a bit more cautious now about hydrogen, um, and it doesn't see it as the panacea um, for, you know, let's just replace our whole gas grid with hydrogen instead. Um, Letty did a paper on this a year ago, or earlier this year, about hydrogen, and, and it's clearly got a role to play, but probably as an expensive niche energy provider um, for transport or areas where it's really impossible to get heat pumps in. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so to answer your question, <laughs> I don't think there's a risk of that happening. And I think it is important to still be investing in all these different sort of forms of energy technology. But in terms of the way we think about energy, the big shift I want to, change, to see is that energy efficiency is seen as one of our key energy technology issues or, you know, elements of the energy supply chain is energy efficiency. That would be the massive change in mindset, I think, that we need. And... For our listeners out there at the moment, what and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Antonia. What would what would you say to people that are really really want to engage with retrofit of their property? So if we if we start with homeowners and occupants at the moment, what would be your, your advice to homeowners and occupants at the minute who really want to do try and do what you're doing? You know, you're clearly trying to do it to to your own property as well. So what what would be your advice to those people? I'd make a retrofit plan. Um, so <laughs> it sounds really dry and boring, but basically sit down with someone who knows what they're talking about and come up with a plan for your home. And it might, you might never finish it. Um, it might be something you do over three years or 10 years or, you know, hand over to the next person who buys your home, but have that plan so you know what it is that you're aiming for, how you're going to get your home to zero carbon. Um, and... So that also you know that when you do any form of works, whether you're, I don't know, putting a dormer up in your roof or putting an extension on, that at each point you are doing the best you can to get that home to zero carbon on your retrofit plan and on your retrofit journey. So, yeah, it's something I've talked about with um, a guy called Harry Patakas, who's done a huge amount of retrofit work. It would be much better if we put money not into telling people to get insulation, but into making retrofit plans. <laughs> get some government grants out for that so people are educated and know what they need to be doing yeah you've mentioned you know multiple times that you've um you know you've donated a lot of your time and expertise to letty and mm. you know letty's been going for three years it's a fantastic organization it's a group of over a thousand people that have that have donated their time um and advice in, in kind over that time and, and the outputs have been amazing you've mentioned the hydrogen um you know, publication they've done the embodied carbon target alignment you had the climate the client guide um, and now this retrofit guide so it's a huge amount of really impactful work coming out of it and i know at the moment letty are finally trying to raise some funds as well to keep that good work going can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that yes thank you for raising that um, and all of that stuff that you've just mentioned has come out and to date we've only spent twelve thousand pounds to achieve all of that because it's all, the vast majority of work has been done by volunteers. And that £12,000 we spent to date has been on sort of supporting um, um, someone who's helping on the sort of promotion and publicity and marketing side of things and the website and things like that. 
So we're now looking to raise another £25,000 to basically continue supporting Yeti for the next 18 months. Um, and we, we started that sort of campaign when we launched the Retrofit Guide um, uh, last month. So we have succeeded in raising some money, but we do need to raise more. And it's absolutely, I find it quite humbling how much has been achieved for so little money, to be honest. Um, so yeah, we really hope we can get that £25,000 uh, in order to sort of continue this this work that they're doing because yeah. it is really impactful. It's absolutely phenomenal. And, and we'll put a uh, link to the crowdfunder um, link on, on our uh, promotion of this podcast as well. So um, or if you can't can't find that, go on to Letty's website. It's nice and prominent, um, but it's something yeah. that the industry needs to support. Definitely. I think it's it, 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 it's unbelievably commendable the the power of collaboration and passion of people who are who are looking and really want to engage in addressing the climate climate emergency. I think it will be fantastic to see a similar focus and push. Um, from central and local government as well, in the in the same way, and maybe open up some of those challenges that you challenges that you've discussed, and engage in some uh, engage directly in, in in funding some of these fantastic retrofit exemplars uh, in in some of our most deprived regions. Um, we always end our chats, Antonio, by asking people what they would like to see from the future of the sector. Really, you know, what would they like to see for the future of the sector? And, and what would you like to see for the future in general? It's a big question, but it's a good one to end on. I'd like everyone to always have in mind um, the carbon budget and zero carbon. Um, there was a picture from COP26 that really sort of stuck with me of one of the Pacific Island nations standing in the sea as they gave their presentation to say, you know, remember us. And I think if you've got that in mind, the sheer enormity of the problem that we face, then it makes the enormity of the retrofit challenge really seem quite simple by comparison um, and quite achievable. So it's this positive, it's a, think about the, the, the issue and then be positive about achieving it. And the Letty Guide can help you be positive about achieving it. Absolutely. I think that's a, it's a great note to end on. Thank you. Thank you. Some great insights from Antonia there. And I think just picking up on a couple of key points, there was some really good advice to people who were passionate and energetic around wanting to do their own retrofit projects. Um, there was some guidance around where to find some of the best information and some of the best support in being able to deliver that and the importance of having a retrofit plan. Uh, which Antonia reiterated. Uh, she also gave a, a shameless but fantastic plug to David Pierpoint and the guys at the Retrofit Academy, who, who I know Martin we're going to have on the on the show very soon, uh, and they do some unbelievable work. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about those guys and the the streams that you've got on at the Future Build Live. Absolutely. So to put another shameless plug in, you know, let me promote Future Build a little bit, which is rapidly coming. We're we're the first to third of March in 2022 and you're absolutely right we're working with David and his retrofit academy um, to put on a full three-day program in our whole house retrofit zone some of the other topics that came up as well we're working with the UK DEA with a whole area on district energy so we talked quite a lot about that as a, as a solution um, also on our energy program Letty are actually doing a session um, plus we've got Bayes and their high for heat as well talking about the hydrogen debate as well so all this uh, and more will be discussed at Future Build in March 2022. I really hope everyone enjoyed today's uh, episode of Future X. 
Um, if you did, please like and subscribe. And we'll be back soon with more innovators, disruptors, and those net zero pioneers. Thank you. See you later, guys. Join our community to stay up to date with all things FutureX. Visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up. Please also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll be back again soon.